Thank you, Pastor Abraham, for those kind words of introduction. I want to take time to wish all of you a blessed Resurrection Sunday. Uh, even for those of you online watching us, may the Lord fill you with great joy, hope, and expectation as you look ahead at what God has in store for us. I'm sure you agree with me that we are living in difficult times. It's not been easy over the last two years. We had the pandemic. When that got over, we heard about a war situation uh, unfolding in uh, Ukraine. We heard about what happened in Afghanistan with the uh, US forces pulling out. We watched the news of what is happening right now in uh, Pakistan what is happening in Sri Lanka, we can definitely say the world is not uh, in a very happy space. Our uh, neighborhood as a nation is not in a very safe space. But in the middle of this, if there's one thing that is constant and one thing that never changes, it is the fact that we have a God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. He is eternal. The Bible says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, in Malachi 3 and verse 6, it says, I am the God who does not change. That's why you sons of Jacob are not destroyed. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changes not, abide with me. So we have a God who never changes, a God who we can put our trust in. As pastor invited me and I began praying and seeking the Lord what to share this Easter morning, the Lord laid this passage on my heart and I uh, went and reread it. You know, sometimes uh, you read a, a text, you've read it a number of times, and then you reread a text uh, and this time you read it more minutely, carefully. And I was very blessed as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 28. I'm going to read it for us. It's a little longer passage. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 to 28. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came, comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, 
then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Let us pray. Lord, this morning, you know exactly what we need. The entrance of your word, it gives light. Speak to us through the power of your spirit. Quicken this word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I've entitled this message as, If Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen. Now I'm sure if you've grown up in church, you've heard several sermons on the resurrection. You have read the four gospels. And all the four gospels record for us the crucifixion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The passage that we read does not describe the resurrection event, but establishes the fact about the resurrection of Christ. Our faith, it would be empty, meaningless, and vain if Christ did not rise from the dead. I won't mention the name of the church, but this is a true story. Uh, one of the priests was going up to speak. It was Resurrection Sunday. And he leans over to his assistant, who is also a priest, and says, what to do? I have to preach this because the people want to hear that Christ has risen from the dead. It's a mainline church. I was very shocked when I heard a priest saying this. I would rather quit preaching if I had to preach something I didn't believe. But do you know that there are Christians who will sit and analyze to such a level that they start questioning the very basic of the Christian faith? Do you know the Christian faith is like the, the foundation, the cornerstone of the Christian faith is the resurrection. You pull it out. Everything falls. You know, the Lord Jesus' life is bracketed by two impossibilities. Look at the life of the Lord Jesus. Two impossibilities on two sides. There's the virgin's womb. Nobody can claim to be born of a virgin. There's the virgin's womb. On the other side, there's an empty tomb. You remove that. Our faith is like any other faith. There's nothing left in it. What a tragedy. To have so-called Christians who claim to be Christians and they don't believe in what is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, if you will confess with your mouths the Lord Jesus, and I believe that there are men and women in this room who have confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus 
that means he is god he is not just a rabbi not just a teacher not just a good man but he is the lord he is kurios he is the lord that if you will confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god raised jesus from the dead then you will be saved do you know your salvation hinges on this realization that christ has been raised from the dead if christ has not been raised then we have a problem we have a huge problem on our hands because then jesus is just a moral leader he's like any other guru any other rabbi any other teacher who ever lived but the resurrection proves the fact that he was not a liar as josh mcdowell the apologist puts it beautifully there are only three options after looking at the life of jesus his sinless life his death on the cross his resurrection there are only three possibilities either he was a liar or he was a lunatic or the last option is he is lord that's the only possibility he is lord and we in this room have bowed before him as lord we have recognized that he is lord of my life lord of everything i have he is the master of all creation the sovereign one before whom everything will bow in heaven and on earth jesus had said destroy this temple in 3 days i will raise it up again guess what the jews talked to each other they said 46 years it took for us to build this temple and he saying he will raise it he will pull it down and raise it back in 3 days but they didn't understand their eyes were blinded to the fact that he was talking about his body after his resurrection the bible says the disciples remembered the words of the lord it came back to them he had said destroy this temple in 3 days i will raise it back to life again one of my favorite verses in the whole bible is found in revelation chapter 1 verse 17 and 18 the resurrected lord appears to john the beloved now john was one of his favorite disciples uh, john would lean probably uh, bible scholars believe that he was the youngest he would lean you know jewish people would recline while they ate and john was so close to the lord that he would lean on the bosom of jesus he was very close to jesus you know he lived his entire life preaching proclaiming they tried to kill him church tradition says that they put him in hot oil couldn't kill him that's church tradition history and then finally they exiled him to the island of patmos the bible says on the lord's day sunday morning he's all alone full of the spirit he's 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 full of the spirit of god and then he has an encounter with the resurrected lord the lord appears to him and speaks to him and says do not be afraid i am the first and the last the alpha the omega i am the living one i love this phrase i was dead i was dead this actually happened i died i was dead but now look 
I'm alive forevermore. I hold the key of Hades and death. My father grew up in an Orthodox Christian church, went to church, never had an encounter with the Lord. As a child in the home he grew up in, there were three pictures of the Lord. One was Jesus hanging on the cross. The other was Jesus with a crown of thorns looking downwards. And the third one was Jesus in the arms of his mother. These were the only three pictures that he had seen growing up. He went to church, never had an encounter with the Lord. At the age of 32, as an alcoholic, as someone who was messed up, he had an encounter with the Lord. He went to a service for the first time in his life. There was an evangelist from New Zealand by the name Dr. Graham Truscott. The meeting was happening in Park Circus Maidan. It was a three-day meeting. He and his best friend, the son of a priest, his friend was the son of a priest, both went to the service dead drunk. It was happening in a Maidan. For the first time in his entire life at the age of 32, he's a Christian, born in a Christian, so-called Christian, born in a Christian family. He heard about the resurrection. Jesus is alive. That was a moment of reckoning. When the evangelist laid hands and prayed on my father, my father had acute rheumatism, acute, severe rheumatism. Plus he was alcoholic. Jesus, the resurrected Lord, touched him October 30, 1965. That changed his life. From there, he became a preacher of the gospel. He went to Bible college, gave up his business, gave up his job, did everything for the rest of his life. The next 28 years, he followed the Lord. Before he went to be with the Lord, he traveled to many nations of the world, proclaiming the resurrected Savior. God gave him the privilege of he and his team planting 30 churches in the eastern part of India. Brother, sister, just because you're born in a Christian family, that, that means nothing till you have an encounter with the risen Savior. Let me get to the context of this verse, this passage that we read. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. In this church, there is a false teaching that is happening. There is a group of people that say, yes, Christ rose from the dead. But we believers are not going to rise from the dead. It happened. But there is no resurrection. Where do we find it? It's found in verse 12. In the Corinthian church, there is a group of people that don't believe in the resurrection. Paul wants to establish the fact that the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection is inextricably linked. They are connected with each other. You cannot talk about the resurrection of Jesus and not talk about our resurrection. So Paul wants to correct this anomaly that is there in the church. And that's why he writes this section. It's a polemic. He is responding to a false teaching within the church. Do you know from time to time, false teaching comes into the church. It happened then, it happens now. And as shepherds, as leaders of the flock, we have to give a response. Paul is just doing that. He responds. This is his response. There are two parts 
that I will be focusing on. The first part is from verse 14 to verse 19. He gives five reasons, and I'm going to focus on the five reasons. Five reasons, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then what is the consequence? What happens to our faith? Five reasons. That is from verse 14 to 19. Then from verse 20 to 28, he tells us the certainty of Christ's resurrection and what that means to us. So that's the reason I've entitled the sermon as If Christ is Not Raised. Point number one. First of all, Paul says in verse 14, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Remove the historical bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very content of our preaching is gone. There have been people who have tried to explain the miraculous. And they have said Christ rose from the dead in the mind of his disciples. Not true. This is a historic fact. Nobody will die for a myth. Correct? If your life is on the line and you know what you are saying is not true, you will retract. True or false? If your life is on the line. Out of the 12 disciples, Judas committed suicide. Out of the 11, 10 of them were willing to lay down their life. They became martyrs. Apostle Peter, when he was being crucified, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Please crucify me upside down. That was the level of commitment these men had, the early disciples had. They were so certain, as certain as we are that this is day, that certain they were about the resurrection. This was no cooked up story for them. This was a reality. So that's the first truth. If Christ has not risen, we believe that this is a historical event. It happened. We believe that this is a bodily event. This is not just something that was an apparition. It actually happened. His body was laid in the tomb. His body was brought back to life. Now, what's difficult about that? If you believe God created you, then it's not difficult to believe that God can give you life. If you believe that God fashioned you from the dust of the earth and breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul, what makes it difficult for God to raise Christ from the dead? The same spirit that hovered over creation in Genesis 1 and verse 3, the spirit of the Lord hovered, incubated the, over the face of the waters. The same spirit raised Christ from the dead. You remove that. Then our content is gone. Our faith is empty. Ultimately, it has no power to save anybody. It did not save Christ himself. Forget about saving us. Secondly, in verse 15, Paul says... If Christ has not been raised, then we are false witnesses. A false witnesses had a penalty in those days. In the Jewish law, if you bore false witness, you would be killed. Thou shalt not, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness. You will not lie. 
And Paul is saying, listen, if this resurrection thing is not true, then we are false witnesses. You know, the early church, when they preached, they spoke about the life of Christ, but they focused so much on the resurrection. Look at the message on Pentecost. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This is Peter's message. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The author of life could not be shut in a grave. Amen. Death had no power over our Savior. And then in verse 32, he says, we are witnesses. Being a witness is very important. You know, I love this fact. You and I have been called to be what? Not lawyers. Some people say, you know, pastor, I don't know how to say uh, where it is mentioned in the Bible. I don't know all the, the reasoning and the theology behind it. No problem. Christ did not call you to be his lawyer. Christ called you to be his witness. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my... Who's a witness? A witness is someone who has experienced, who has seen, who has handled. That's why in 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, that which we have seen, that which we have handled, that is what we are telling you. Amen. We are called to be witnesses. And Paul is saying, if Christ has not risen, then hold on. We are false witnesses. Thirdly, in verse 16 and 17, Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then we are still in our sins. Our faith is futile. We have just believed for nothing. Just imagine for a moment that Christ actually took the sins of the world upon himself and he did not rise from the dead. Just imagine that. How inconsequential his death would have been. Anybody could have claimed, I'm taking the sins of the world on me. Anybody could have said that, correct? But what makes our faith living, dynamic, real, is the fact that we have a victorious savior. Death could not defeat him. Death could not conquer him. And so Paul is establishing the fact, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are still in our sins. Fourthly, in verse 18, he says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, those who have fallen asleep have perished. He's talking about those who have died. You know, there is this false understanding that death is termination of life. Death is not termination of life. Biblically, death is transition. 
life doesn't come to an end. It's not that we won't know what is happening. All that is happening in death is separation of soul and spirit from the body. That's all that's happening. You and I will be still alive. You and I will still remember what happened in our lifetime. We will still be us. We will not be somebody else. Yes, our body, this envelope, will be put into the soil. Whether you are cremated, you're put in the Tower of Silence uh, for the Parsis, or whether you are uh, you know, buried, no matter what they do with this body, you and I will still live. That's the reality. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so Paul is making a point. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then th those who have died, they have perished. They are lost. It's over. Story is closed because there's no hope. If Christ could not rise from the dead, then what's the hope for them? Christ was sinless. Christ was God, son of God. Yes. If he did not rise from the dead, then what about our loved ones who have gone before us? Fifthly, this is a very important point that Paul makes. He says, if Christ is not raised, then our hope is only for this life. Then we are the most pitiable people because our hope is only for this life. Listen carefully to me. The Christian faith is the only faith that gives you hope for this life and hope for the future. Amen. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. That's from the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. My favorite line in that song. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. We don't just have hope here. We have hope beyond the grave. We have hope. You remove the resurrection, then we are the most miserable people. Here's the question for us to ponder. Why live a holy life? Why deny yourself? Why take up the cross? Why pay a price to be a Christian? Why stand for what is right? Why can't we just do what everyone else is doing? Follow the multitude because the Epicureans believed, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you will die. So what's the point? Why waste your life, your time, your priorities, your energy, your resources? Why spend it on something when you know that at the end of it, we are all going to die. So Paul is now making a statement. He's saying, listen, if our hope is only in this lifetime, then we are the most pitiable people. We are the most miserable people on the face of the earth. Thank God. That's not true. Christ rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we have a reason to live. You know, that song, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Uh, it's one of my favorites, written by Bill Gaither. Bill and Gloria Gaither have written many songs. And sometimes it is helpful to listen to the story behind the song. It was the year 1970, and they were expecting their third child. Bill Gaither had gone through a serious illness and nearly died. His sister had gone through a very painful an acrimonious divorce. Their close friend, very close friends, family friends turned against them. 
in the middle of all this bill and gloria gave they were expecting their third child benjamin as benjamin was born and as bill gave held benjamin being a songwriter a poet these words just came into his mind how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the warmth and joy he brings but greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives are you worried about your children are you worried about what kind of world are they going to live in are you worried about your grandchildren some of you are grandparents it's natural to look at the world we are in and wonder i wonder what's in store for them i wonder what's the world going to look like with all the nuclear arsenal that is being stockpiled we don't know what lies ahead but one thing we know because christ has risen from the dead because our faith is based on a historical fact we can look ahead and say because he lives i can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because i know he holds my future are you worried about your future about your job there's recession happening there's inflation happening petrol prices diesel prices are skyrocketing doctor uh, the government is trying everything it can to stabilize the economy things don't look good but because he lives i can face tomorrow amen now let's look at the second part and i'll bring this to a close we looked at five reasons that paul puts forward in this text verse 20 to 28 before that paul began this chapter in verse 3 to 8 let me read it for us for what i received i passed on to you this is first corinthians 15 verse 3 to 8 as of first importance that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas and then to the 12 and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep then he appeared to james and then to all the apostles and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born this is the resurrection chapter first corinthians 15 paul puts down a sequence of the resurrected lord 40 days on the face of the earth and different groups of people 500 people cannot imagine things correct one can two can hypnosis can happen with two with three jesus appeared to 500 people at the same time you cannot hypnotize you cannot somebody would have seen through that paul puts all of this forward what does it mean for us why is the resurrection so important here it is because christ rose from the dead our faith is not in vain amen we have not believed in vain because christ rose from the dead we can boldly say that we are not false witnesses we are bearing witness to a historical truth a reality that we have experienced because christ rose from the dead our sins have been atoned for 
Christ is that perfect Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the earth for the sins of mankind. And because we are united by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins have been atoned for. Because Christ has risen from the dead, we eagerly wait the resurrection. There is going to be a grand reunion. Have you ever been part of a reunion before? A school reunion, a college reunion? Have you been part of a reunion? I want to remind you that there is coming a grand reunion. Because Christ rose from the dead, we enjoy hope in this life and hope in the world to come. I don't believe that we are the most miserable people. I believe through Christ, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, neither powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the hope that you and I enjoy. Let me now conclude. I want to give us three takeaways. Very important at the end of a sermon that you have something to take back with you. Number one, here's the application. The last death, the last enemy, death has been defeated. The last enemy. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy, death has been defeated. Do you know? Death is not just the enemy of man. Death is also the enemy of God. Have you thought about that? God is life. God is the author of life. God is the source of life. Death was not part of his original design. Death happened as a consequence of man's rebellion. Death was not part of his plan. Man chose to live a life apart from God. Death entered the world. The Bible says part of redemption. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy that will be defeated is death. You know, there's something very scary about death, correct? You know, in North India where I grew up, when people talked of death, they would say, shub shub bolo, say something good. Don't say something bad. They don't want to talk about death. You know, people sometimes don't want to make a will. They don't want to do anything connected with death. They don't want to talk to their loved ones about if I die, what should happen or what should be done. They don't want to talk about it. Why? Because they are afraid. There is fear that grips people. Brother, sister, child of God. We don't need to fear death. Death has been conquered. You know, my parents served the Lord. I told you they were missionaries in West Bengal. Um, my dad went to be with the Lord in 1993. I was just 17 and a half at that time. Two and a half years later, at the age of 20, I lost my mom. And when my mother went to be with the Lord, I saw death at close quarters, you know, losing two loved ones in a span of two and a half years. 
and I had to put a verse on the tombstone. And I remember, this is the verse the Lord gave me. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? If I asked you, are you scared of a poisonous snake? Most likely, majority of us will say yes. Uh, we don't get a good feeling when you see a poisonous snake, correct? You get a creepy kind of feeling. What if I told you that that snake has been defanged, that that snake's poison has been removed, the poison sack has been removed? Now, you may not say how sweet and carry and cuddle the snake, but you are no longer petrified of that snake, correct? Yes? Listen to me, brother, sister, death will come to us, like it or not. If Jesus does not return, 100 out of 100 in this 100%, all of us will die. Age, we don't know. Time, we don't know. When it will happen, we don't know. But one thing we must have, the assurance, the last enemy has been defeated when Christ rose from the dead. Never fear death for a child of God. Death is just a promotion. Change in location. Change in address. Have you moved your house? Have you moved your house? We moved from Calcutta. We got married. We are from Calcutta. We moved from Calcutta to Bangalore. What happened when that happened was we just changed location. That's all that's happened. When I die, when you die, all that will happen is change of location. Amen. The last enemy has been defeated. Death has been vanquished. Because Christ rose from the dead. So never again look at death with fear. I'm not saying wait for death. I'm not saying pray for death. That's not what I'm saying. For me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. It's better. It's better on the other side. It's a world with no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, no pain. A world of no separation. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Never be afraid of death. We should not be scared about death. You know, many people have said this to me. Who knows what's on the other side? Has anybody gone and come back? My answer is yes, there is someone I know who went and came back. He came back and said, I was dead. But now I'm alive forevermore. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I have the key of Hades and death. Death obeys him. Amen. Hallelujah. Second application for us. Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. So the first, the last enemy has been defeated. The second application, Christ is the first fruit. And that picture of first fruit is very important. When you see a tree giving its first fruit, what does it tell you? That other fruits will follow. That's all it tells you. Christ rising from the dead establishes the fact that he is the first of many. He is the first of many. He is the first fruit. What happened to the Lord Jesus Christ will happen to us. We believe in a bodily resurrection. That's why you will recognize each other in the resurrection. You know, when Peter, James, and John at the Mount of Transfiguration, when they saw the resurrected Lord, they saw Moses and Elijah. Guess what? 
they recognize them. They have never met them. But in their resurrected form, they recognize them. You and I will recognize each other. We will have a bodily resurrection. Christ's resurrection guarantees. This is the guarantee. Because Christ rose from the dead. It's like a token advance. When you give the token advance, not normally it will be something significant. That token advance tells you the rest will follow. Otherwise, you forfeit that advance. Correct? Do you have loved ones who have gone before you? Have the assurance. We will see them again. We will meet them on the other shore. That's why our funeral services are not where we try to jump into the coffin or we bang our head against the wall. When we say goodbye to our loved ones, we sing, we celebrate, we'll say, we'll see you on the other shore. You've gone before us, but we will follow in your footsteps. Why is that? Because Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. Because he's the first fruit, other fruits will follow. I've given you two applications. Number one, the last enemy, death has been conquered. Number two, Christ is the first fruit. And because he's the first fruit, it's the guarantee. We also will be resurrected. The third and final truth, we can live boldly and face tomorrow. You know how Paul ends this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There is a reward for what we do in Christ. I love that verse in Matthew 10 and verse 42 where it says, if you give a cold glass of water, now what's the rest of the verse? Help me, church. If you give a cold glass of water, what's the rest of the verse? In my name. I don't know where you're working or what's your profession, your, your business or what you're involved in. But I want to challenge you. Anything that you and I do in the name of Jesus, there is a reward for it. Amen. Be unshakable, always abounding, unmovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. There is going to come a day of reward. There is going to come a day of reckoning. C.T. Studd, have you heard this name? He was a cricketer. And he gave it all up and then served the Lord, became a missionary. He's the one who said, just one life, it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. Do you know that what we do in this lifetime matters? Why? Because there is a day of reckoning. Jesus will return. All of us will stand before God. 
how we live life today it does matter because the resurrection is a historical event amen so be unshakable be steadfast abounding in the work of the lord put your hands to whatever is kingdom related god's work i am very proud of the 13 of you i'm sure your pastor is who are completing your theological studies i want to commend you for having juggled between your work your families and you have persevered to finish this program and god willing on the 29th we will have that grand celebration at cgld come and be part of it but that's called a commencement service it's not the end it's only the beginning commencement now begins your real ministry use what you have learned get involved in kingdom purposes put your heart soul mind strength use the gifts the talents the training for kingdom purposes be involved be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your labor is not in vain there is a reward and that reward is waiting for us today is the visible tip of the iceberg eternity is all that lies beneath the surface when you see an iceberg only a small part is visible eternity is that part underneath there is an eternity before us what we do in this lifetime it does matter it does have a reward even a cold glass of water i was you know pondering on that we go to a restaurant the first thing they come and give you is a cold glass of water but you know what's the important part in my name in the name of jesus anything that you do whether in the church outside the church at your workplace in the name of jesus very important in the name of jesus anything that you do and i do heaven records it be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord because our labor is not in vain work for the lord give your best time treasure talents for the furtherance of the kingdom of god invest your life don't just store up treasures that will perish on this earth store up treasures in heaven live life differently the bible says don't live foolishly live wisely redeem the time because the days are evil count your days because your days matter it it counts that's why the psalmist said teach us to number our days that we will apply our heart to wisdom what is wisdom wisdom is the fear of the lord begin with the fear of god and start serving the lord so three takeaways the first one what's the first one come on help me what's the first one christ has conquered death we don't need to fear death the second one christ is the first fruit so we also every one of us will be resurrected we will be raised from the dead it will be a bodily resurrection just as christ was raised from the dead third application be steadfast unshakable always abounding abounding means 
increasing in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you.